All right, so Romans 12, and uh, let's, uh, let's just look up to the Lord and ask for his grace and blessing. Lord God, we've opened up your word now. You have given this to us, and Christ has sent us his Holy Spirit to help us understand, to help us to believe, and to help us to do these things. And I pray that he would be free this morning to do his good work in our hearts. We want that, Lord. We don't want to stay the same. We want to see you do supernatural things in us. And I pray for Christ's sake, for your glory, that the Holy Spirit would do his good work this morning in each of our hearts. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. Last week, we began by considering the question, what is motivating me to seek to know God's will for my life? And we considered two possibilities. I could be asking, what is God's will for my life? I could be asking that for my own well-being's sake. I want to do the will of God because I know it's the safest and the best path for me in this world. And I will be safe and I'll have everything that I need and I won't run into any potholes in life if I will know God's will. And of course, we saw from Romans 12 that if that is our attitude, if we intend to use God and his will only to get myself to a place where I'm safe and prosperous, if that's the only reason that I'm seeking God's will, then God will not give me a knowledge of his will, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And so the other possibility of what could be motivating me to seek, seek to know God's will for my life is that I, I genuinely desire to want to do God's will uh, for his sake. Uh, he is the Lord, and it is my desire to obey, to follow him, uh, to do what he commands. God is not just a master planner for my life who gives me tips on how to not buy junky cars and houses that hide surprises for me. God is the Lord of heaven and earth. His will is done in heaven and our prayer must be, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in me. And that is the right attitude that we are to have. And so last week we looked at two categories of verses then regarding God's will. One category taught us the reason that unbelievers do not do the will of God. Why do unbelievers not obey the will of God? It's not because they don't know it. In a lot of cases there are things they don't know, but there's plenty of things that they do know. And they don't do it. Why? The reason they don't do the will of God is because of who they are. In their hearts they are hard against God. They reject Him. They are at enmity with God. And so if they are going to do the will of God, if any of us are to do the will of God, something's got to change down inside of me. I've got to change if I'm going to do the will of God. And that's what we saw in Matthew chapter 12, that it is a good tree that bears good fruit. If you want to have good fruit, you want to go forward doing the right thing, it requires that you change. Transformation is required if we are to be doers of God's will. But the second category of verses we looked at answered this question, what must I do to know the will of God? And you know what the answer was? We found that the same answer is true. Why do we not do the will of God? Because transformation is required. Why do we not know the will of God? Because transformation is required. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern the will of God. If you're not transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will not be able to discern the will of God. And today is going to help us understand why that's the case and what that transformation looks like. Unless there is a change in us, our knowledge of God's will will be empty. 
and we will not walk forward in the best and right path. And this is the promise of the good news of Jesus Christ. The world is filled with people who do not do the will of God. And that is the reason the world is the mess that it is today. Because we do not do the will of God. Is it any wonder then that the world is falling apart? But the Lord changes people's hearts so that they cry, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Now, if we had a whole society of people like that, would that not be heaven? That's what the church is supposed to be. A collection of people who all cry, I delight to do your will, oh my God. And how then do we come to know his will? Well, look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to know the will of God, it begins by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want you to look at those words, transformed, renewing of your mind. Let's just think about those for a minute. That is what is required if you are going to be able to discern the will of God. Transformed, renewal of your mind. Okay, let's just think about those three words for a minute. Transformed, renewal of your mind. First of all, what must be transformed? The mind. The mind is what must be transformed. So three words, transformed, renewal, mind. Let's combine transformed and renewal so that we essentially have two categories of words here. Transformation and my mind. See that? That's what's required. Transformation in my mind if I'm going to be able to discern the will of God. That means then that my ability to discern and know the will of God comes as my mind is transformed. And that means then that the way that God communicates his will to me is through what? My mind. As my mind is transformed, now I can discern. That's something that my mind does. It discerns. Now I can discern what the will of God is. In other words, it, uh, sorry, it is through my mind then that God communicates his will to me, but my mind alone is not sufficient. It isn't that I just start thinking and now I know the will of God because he does not say think and then you will discern the will of God. He says your mind must be transformed and then you can discern what the will of God is. So it's not just my mind, it's my transformed mind, my renewed mind that enables me to be able to discern the will of God. And so I'm going to make a statement now. And then we're going to go through, and then we're going to come to the end, and I'm going to say it again. And at the moment, you're probably going to be saying, um, really? And at the end, hopefully, through the scriptures, you're going to be saying, okay, that's it. I get it. Okay? So here comes the statement.
The choices my transformed mind makes are the will of God for me. The choices that my transformed mind makes are the will of God for me. Okay? So let's work through and see if we can understand that. If that's true, that it is the renewing of my mind that enables me then to discern the will of God, that means two things. We've got to ask two questions then. Okay? The first is this. We need to ask, how is my mind changed? What's going to bring about this transformation and renewal? What does that look like for my mind to be changed? I mean, brain surgery by a brain surgeon? How is my mind changed? And the second thing we need to ask this is, how does a changed mind bring me to the point where I know and do God's will? Because if I make the decision, even with my transformed mind, that's still what I want to do, not what God wants me to do, right? If I decide, this is what I ought to do. Well, that's me deciding, right? Am I actually doing the will of God? Or is that doing my own will? Does that make sense? Okay, so how has my mind changed? And then how, by my mind, do I do the will of God? Okay, those are the two questions. And that's actually going to be the two points we're going to look at this morning. Okay, so the first, uh, the first question we're going to look at is, what is a transformed mind? What does it mean for my mind to be transformed? How does that happen? What does my mind look like once the process is complete? The answer to this question is that a mind, is being, a mind being transformed is a mind that is growing in the knowledge of God through the scriptures. What does it mean for my mind to be transformed? It means that my mind is growing in the knowledge of God through the scriptures. Do you want to be transformed? Then know God through the scriptures. And let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Paul makes this point clear for us in Colossians chapter 1. There are only two passages in the Scripture, in the New Testament, I'm sorry. There are only two passages that I can find in the New Testament that talk to us about how to know God's will. Romans 12 is one of them. Colossians 1 is the second. And I believe they are the only two. If you can find another one, I would like to see it. I believe Colossians 1 and Romans 12 are the only two that answer that question. How do we know God's will? And here we're going to read through verses 9 through 12, okay? It's pretty tightly packed. We'll read slowly. We're going to come back and try to take it apart and see what Paul's main point is and what he's saying here, okay? So Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, the day we heard what? Verse 4, the day we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Since the day that we heard of that, we have not ceased to pray for you. Boy, Paul must spend a lot of time in prayer. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking, what's Paul asking? He's asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, that's what we want to know. What is God's will? I would like to know it. How could I get full of the knowledge of God's will? That's what Paul's asking for the Colossians. I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What's that mean, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? To walk in a manner that's fully pleasing to Him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's notice several things about what Paul's saying here. 
He's telling the Colossian believers, as we noticed, that he prays for them, and his prayer request is that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Why does Paul want them to know God's will? Verse 10, so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, a manner that is fully pleasing to him. If God's will is to do X and they're walking and doing Y, they're not fully pleasing to him. So Paul prays that they would know his will so that they could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him. And then Paul gives us four phrases in verses 10, 11, and 12 that tell us something about this walk that is worthy of the Lord. Let's see if we can find them. Verse 10, uh, verse 9, I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of his will so you walk in a manner that's fully pleasing to him. Here's the first phrase, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Here Paul's telling us what this walk will look like. It will look like a tree that bears fruit. And what are the fruits? Good works. The second phrase that he gives us is this, increasing in the knowledge of God. By this phrase, he's telling us how we will come to know God's will so that we can walk worthy of the Lord. And that is by a growing knowledge of the Lord. The third phrase he gives us is in verse 11, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, that would be endurance in doing the will of God, with joy, doing the will of God with joy. How are you going to get to the point where day after day after day after day after day after day with joy you do the will of God? Answer, that requires God's strength. So if you're going to walk in a manner that's fully, fully pleasing to the Lord, you've got to have God's strength, and that's why Paul asked for it that you would be strengthened to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. And fourth, the fourth phrase is in verse 12, he tells us the attitude we are to have in walking this way. I pray that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to, fully pleasing to him, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of, in light. Here's the attitude in which we are to walk worthy of the Lord. Lord, I give you thanks. It is astounding to me that you made me qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. That is the attitude we are to have in walking this way. Now, for our purposes this morning, we're primarily interested in that second phrase, which comes at the end of verse 10. How do we come to a knowledge of God's will? And Paul tells us in verse 10 that his prayer that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is answered by our increasing in the knowledge of God. How do we come to a knowledge of God's will? Paul says it comes through an increasing knowledge of God. Only by growing to know God more fully and more completely can I know God's will and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now that makes sense. If you've got somebody you really want to please and you've never even met them, you've never received a letter from them, they've never told you what they expect, how likely is it that you're going to do what they want? But think about being married to the same person for 40 years. You, pretty, you know them pretty well and you know exactly what they want to happen tomorrow morning, right? The more you know the person, the more readily you know what they want and can do it. 
And that's Paul's point. He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, with the knowledge of God's will. How's that happen? No God is his point. Now let's compare first uh, Colossians one and Romans twelve. Okay, just think about what Paul told us in Romans twelve. In Romans twelve, he said, "Be transformed so that you can discern and know God's will." Colossians one: Grow in your knowledge of the Lord so that you can know God's will and live a life that is fully pleasing to him. They're both giving us the same goal, knowing God's will. Does that mean that being transformed and growing in a knowledge of the Lord are the same thing? And I think that as we look at what it means to know God, they are the same thing. What does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? It means to know God through the scriptures. So let's ask this question. What does it mean to know God. What does it mean to come to know God? Well, apparently, knowing God is a matter of knowing something, right? What do I need to come to know? And the answer is God. Now, that might or might not sound super profound. But in phrasing it that way, I hope that we're getting past the idea that all I, need to know, all I need to do is read the Bible. Reading the Bible is how I come to know God, but knowing God is more than simply reading the words on the page. Knowing God is, simply, is more than simply memorizing the Ten Commandments. Knowing God is more than simply getting a whole list of all of God's commands in the Scripture. What does it mean to know God? When you're seeking to know, to get to know a person, what are you doing? You want to know the person. You want to know their interests and their hobbies. You want to know about their family. You want to know about their experiences. You want to know about their joys. What makes them happy and what makes them sad? You want to know what they love and what they hate. You want to know what they value. You want to know what drives them, what gets them out of bed in the morning and what pushes them through their day all day long. What are they trying to achieve? You want to know what their purposes are and their plans. You want to know what makes them them. You want to ask them questions like this. What would you want to do for a living and why? What is the most surprising thing that happened to you this past year? What really surprises you? What do you consider to be the most beautiful thing in all the world? What do you like to devote the majority of your time to? What's the hardest thing you've ever done? What makes you happiest in life? What's one of the best qualities you possess? You get answers to those questions, sit quietly and listen to someone answer those questions about themselves, and you're getting to know them. You're coming to know that person. What does it mean when Paul talks about a growing knowledge of the Lord? It means you ask God those questions and sit quietly and listen to his answers. Do you know the answer to some of these questions? I'm just trying to take those questions I just gave you and just transfer them over to us thinking about that with God. So I'm going to put it in terms that might not sound right, and we'll come back and fix that in a bit. Okay, but just think about it this way. You ask a person, what do you do for a living? What's your career? You ever ask God that? What's his career? What's God do for a living, if we can say it that way? What consumes so much of his time? What's his big pursuit? What does he devote himself to? You ever ask God, what surprises you, Lord? You look down at this world. What, what is it that you look at and you're like, what in the world's going on? What surprises God? 
What does God consider to be the most beautiful thing in all the world? You ever read your Bible and tried to find an answer to that? What does God look at and say, wow, I love that. Does God have anything that he regards to be the most beautiful thing in all the world? You can learn a lot about a person by what they think is beautiful. What does God devote the majority of his time to? What is the greatest act of power God has ever wrought? What was the hardest thing for him to do? What makes God happy? What are some of the best qualities that God possesses? Now, the parallels between the initial questions and those ones are not exact. God doesn't have a career and he doesn't do anything for a living. He just is. He doesn't have to work for his paycheck like we do. I'd venture to say, though, that most Christians have very little idea what the answer to some of those questions is. We don't know God. And is it any wonder then that when it comes time to make the kinds of choices that we need to make, that we make the choices that we do? Let me give you several big questions to go looking for answers to in the scripture. And I I would say that if you got down next to God's heart and asked him these questions in the scripture and you found some answers to them, it probably would give you a lot of direction for your life. Okay, here's some questions. Why did God create this world? What priorities did he have in mind when he spoke that first? Let there be light. Why does this thing exist? God tells us an answer to that in the scripture. And if you find that answer, it will give massive amounts of shape to your life and where you're going and what you're doing. What is God's goal toward which he is directing everything that takes place in this world? What's God's big goal? What's he shooting for? When he gets all done, where does he want it to end up? What does God consider to be the most beautiful thing to look upon in this, in this whole universe? What captures his love? And I'll give you an answer to that, a not answer. It's not first of all us. What makes God happier than anything else? What brings joy to his heart? What is the greatest source of joy that God has? What are some of the qualities God possesses and how is he different than us? If you get the answers to those questions from the Bible, your life you won't seem like you're building off of a slab anymore. It'll seem to you like you're putting just, just the finishing touches of paint on the house. You'll know exactly what still needs to be done and how to fit into it and be part of it. It's good to read the Bible for God's commands. And certainly to do the will of God, we must know that lying is wrong. Okay? But are God's commands all that God tells us about himself in the scripture? I would venture to say that God says more about what he values in Scripture than what he commands. What does God consider important? God tells us far more about what he's doing in this world than he, does, than he spends time giving us commands of what we ought to do in this world. What is God's ultimate purpose? 
Let me try to give you a very practical example of what this might look like, okay? What's the biggest thing God's doing in the world today? You know the answer to that? We've had two Bible studies so far in our 32 messages so far together. We've had two that have answered that question. What is the biggest thing that God's doing in the world today? If you find the answer to that, it will help you make decisions about which house to buy, help you make decisions about what God might want you to devote your time and attention to. What is the biggest thing God's doing in the world today? He is constructing a body for his son, a bride for his son. And that's where it all ends up, right? Isn't that what heaven is? The new Jerusalem, bride of Christ, joined to him. It's where it all ends up. So what is the biggest thing God's doing in the world today? Redeeming sinners and adding them to the bride of Christ. Constructing local churches, seeing them go forward, seeing the body of Christ expand. Does that give you any direction about which house to buy? Does that give you any direction about what you ought to do with your spare time? Does that give you any direction about what your priorities in life ought to be? How you can contribute to what God is doing in this world? What a horrible thing it would be to work all of your life and have no idea what God's doing and not be able to work alongside of Him. What is God's will for our lives if that's what He's doing in the world? So what Paul prays that we would have a growing knowledge of God so that we can know his will and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You can't walk in a manner worthy of the Lord unless you know him. What happens when your knowledge of God increases? You'll start making excellent choices. And I'm not going to have you turn here this morning, but you can write down 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Go and think deeply about what Peter, the Holy Spirit, is saying in that verse. I'll just read it to you. Listen. God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, you want to live a godly life according to his will? God has granted us all things that pertain to godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. God has called us to his own glory and excellence. To know him in all of his glory and excellence, and then to reflect that, to live that way, to live a godly life. It comes through the knowledge of him. Second question that's what it looks like to get to know, to come to know God. Second question how do I know God? We talked about. Paul praying that our knowledge of God would increase. How does that happen? Very practically. Turn over a couple of pages to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've been asking this question. How do I know God's will? Another way of asking that is, what would be good for me to do, right? What would God consider good for me to do? What are the good works that God would want me to do? Well, if I'm going to do them, I've got to be equipped, right? Got to be prepared so that I can do them. And part of that preparation is knowing what they are, right? 
How do we get equipped for every good work? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof. That's when you don't do God's will. It pulls you back into line. For correction, for training in righteousness. You want to do the right thing? You want to do God's will? You want to do righteousness? What trains you in that? All of the scripture is profitable for those things so that the man of God may be com com complete, fully equipped for every good work. How do we get equipped to do God's will? Apparently the Bible has everything that we need. Everything. Everything. No burnings in the bosom. No liver shivers or fleeces. Apparently, the Bible has everything we need to equip us to do the good works. Nothing's missing. All of the scripture is profitable so that the man of God is equipped for every good work. So, if a growing knowledge of God leads to excellent choices and the fruits of righteousness, if growing knowledge of God leads to excellent choices and the fruits of righteousness, and the Bible equips me for every good work, then how do I grow in the knowledge of the Lord? Through the scripture. Through the scripture. Why? Because the Bible is all about Jesus Christ and he came to reveal the Father to us. You want to know God? Open up the book that's all about his son, who's the radiance of his glory in the exact imprint of his nature. You come to know Jesus Christ in the scriptures, you'll know the Father. Your knowledge of God will grow. And that means then that listening for inner voices or promptings or employing self-chosen tests and chance events and fleeces and signs is wrong. The scripture completes us for every good work. It is what instructs us and corrects us and guides us and trains us in righteousness. We are equipped through, for every good work through the Bible. So you remember that man who was seeking God's will last week that we began with? Flipping the Bible open at random to hear a word from the Lord. Putting out fleeces, employing tests of chance, rolling dice, liver shivers, Burnings in the bosom, seeking a sense of God's will for my life is not how God reveals his will. Your heart will lead you astray. Every time. Your heart will lead you astray. If it is not transformed by the scriptures. So the first thing we do is not listen to our hearts. The first thing we do is not listen for some inner voice. The first thing we do is open our Bibles. The Spirit helps us to understand the Scripture. He confirms the Word of God to us. He grants us a settled peace about knowing that this is the will of God and I must do it. But He does not create new content and revelation in my heart. That is what the Scripture is for. The Spirit never works apart from the Bible today. He works as we are reading God's Word. He works as we are meditating upon it. And we should never think, I, I just feel like God is trying to say something to me. 
Read your Bible. God never tries to say something to anyone. If someone needs to know something, God has omnipotent means at his disposal to be sure that they know. God never tries to tell anybody anything. So open up your Bible. God has already done all the trying and he's written it all down for you in the scriptures. And the scriptures will equip you for every good work. Every one of them. You will lack nothing if you'll open up your Bible. Now at this point, you might be saying, knowing God so that I can know his will is a lifelong task. Right? The Bible's a big book. How do I know God entirely so that I make entirely wise choices? How's that supposed to work? And the answer is, from the scripture, that many times God directs us through other Christians who know God better than I do. Do you know anyone who knows God better than you? Who knows their Bible better than you do? Do you know anyone who can open up her Bible and answer some of those questions we looked at above regarding God and his purposes and priorities in the world? What would happen if you went to that woman and said, I have a decision to make. Here's what it is. Can you shed any light for me on what God's priorities might be? What God might want me to do in this circumstance? Can you open up your Bible and show me anything that might govern my choice and help me to know which direction God would have me to go? And you can see that in Acts chapter 13, and we won't take the time to turn there. I said we'd move quickly. You know the story about the sending out of Paul and Barnabas, right? So Paul and Barnabas are both prophets. This is an astounding passage to me. Paul and Barnabas are both prophets, which means that if God wants to tell them, go to the Gentiles, Paul, go to the Gentiles, Barnabas, how's he going to do it? God's already communicating with Paul and Barnabas and they're preaching to the church the truth of God. They're prophets. The normal pattern goes God, Paul, church. God, Paul, church. God, Barnabas, church. So when it comes time for Paul and Barnabas to get sent out, you know what the pattern is? God, church, Paul. He uses other believers to reveal to Paul my will for your life is that you go to the Gentiles. In other words, it's not just me and my Bible and God. Other Christian people have a part to play in this. If you're going to go to the foreign field as a missionary and your church disagrees with your decision, it is God's will that you not go to the foreign field as a missionary. There's no need for any other questions. God speaks his word through his people to us. So if we are to discern God's will, our minds must be transformed. And what does that mean? It means we've got to know God through the scriptures. That happens as we come to know him. And now let's consider our second question briefly. How can the decisions that I make with my transformed mind, how can that be God's will for me? I'm the one making the decision. How can the transforming of my mind lead to me knowing God's will. And I think at this point, there's a little bit of light that you're seeing in answer to that question. But the answer to that question is this. You must trust God's sovereignty. What is God's sovereignty and how far does it extend? This is your first sub-point on the back of the sheet there. God is absolutely sovereign over everything that happens in this world. 
Nothing happens except according to the counsel of God's will. I'll give you two scripture passages. We've looked at them in the past weeks recently. Ephesians 1.11. God works all things according to the counsel of His will. All things according to the counsel of His will. God's will is being done today on earth flawlessly. Nothing happens but according to God's will. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. And how that fits with human sin is difficult for us as human beings to understand. But nevertheless, God tells us His will is being done on earth today in all things. You say, what about if somebody says, no, God, this is your will, but I'm not going to do it. Does that get in God's way? Daniel 4.35. All the inhabitants of the earth are as nothing. Anybody actually stand up to God? He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can ward off his hand. Get out of here, God. I'm going to do my own thing today. None can ward off his hand or say to him, what, what have you done, God? No one can even call him into question. God's will is done on earth today. Every human sin that happens is because God planned and predestined that it occur. This is staggering to me to think about. Write down Acts 2.23. Meditate upon this verse deeply. Acts 2.23. Acts 4, 28 through 20, oh, sorry, 27 through 28. 2.23. 427 through 28. These verses tell us why Christ was crucified. He was crucified because Pilate did something very unjust. And yet in that act of sin, Peter says, Jesus delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and killed him as lawless men. Lawless men doing God's predetermined plan. Truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. And what did they do? Whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place, nothing happened in the midst of Herod and Pilate's sin. Nothing happened that God had not predestined to take place. God is that sovereign even over human sin. So four points now about how we may do the will, know and do the will of God. The first thing is God is sovereign, so we must obey the will of God we know. The Bible is full of commands, and the will of God for your life never lies outside the boundaries of those commands. When God wrote the scripture, he included a bunch of commands that are for you, and he doesn't get to the year 2023 and think, oh man, I really wanted them to go and kill someone. Oh, I'm so sorry that I put that command, but they're not going to be able to do my will because the Bible forbids them to kill people and I really want them to do it. God's will always lies within the boundaries of his commands in the scripture. If you are transgressing any one of the commands of the scripture, you are not doing God's will. And so take every one of them into account. Because God is the sovereign Lord who made commands like love God and love your neighbor. Those are two commands to think through really hard before you make any major decision. 
How am I loving God in this with all of my heart? How am I loving my neighbor or am I merely seeking to please myself in making this decision? Second thing is God is sovereign over everyone around me. So obey your authorities. I think that the majority of the questions regarding God's will for our lives could be solved at this point. For example, the scripture tells wives to submit to their own husbands in all things. The scripture tells children, obey your parents in all things. The scriptures tell us to obey church leaders and to submit to them. The scriptures tell us to be subject to our governing authorities. The scriptures, the scriptures tell husbands to love their wives. The scriptures tell us to submit ourselves to all the brothers and sisters. That would be 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. The scriptures tell us to listen to the elders and to be subject to them. And the scriptures tell us that God gives grace to the humility, God gives grace to those who humble themselves in those circumstances. I'm just going to pick one out here because this is something that I could pick on myself about and not pick on any of you. Okay. But you can think of yourself as a wife, as a child, as a church member, as a member of the, the governing, the, 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 the state of Queensland or the, the Commonwealth of Australia. You could think of yourself as a wife or a husband. So I'm going to pick the husband because that's my role. Okay. Or one of my roles. Think about a husband. He's got a wife who's eight months, three weeks pregnant. And he hears the call of God to go on a missions trip to Mexico for six months. Is that man subjecting himself to his wife's needs? She's going to give birth in a week. Is it God's will for him to go on a trip to Mexico? When God has said, husbands, love your wives. What do you think? The people that God puts around you and their needs, particularly if they're in authority, their commands, God already knew that your parents would make that command. Now, of course, we ought to obey God rather than men, yes. But make sure you're obeying God and not your own sense of what you think God would want you to do. I, I tell my kids pretty, pretty frequently, it's actually really, hard, really easy for you to know what the will of God is because the Bible says children obey your parents. And as long as we're not asking you to go out and break the commandments of God, you know what God's will is for you when you come to the table because we tell you, sit down, hands to yourself, eat your food. That is God's will for you. What about living in this country? Our government has asked us to do at times and will yet ask us to do things that are contrary to the commands, the explicit commands of God. But is not their commands coupled with God's statement, obey your governing authorities, does that not mean that when they ask us to drive a certain speed limit on the road, that that is God's will for us? I think you can see the point that God is sovereign over even the demands of those people who are in authority over us, the needs of people around us. God is sovereign over all of that. And that gives a lot of shape to what God's will for my life is from day to day. It is never the will of God for a wife to violate the scripture's commands to reverence her husband in order to obey the leading of the spirit in her heart regarding a matter the scripture says nothing about. Children know the will of God for their lives as soon as their parents give them a command. It is God's will that accounts for these commands that surround us and God never wrings his hands in heaven because a parent asked a child to do something that he really did not want them to do today. 
Thirdly, God is sovereign over my life, so pray. Pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think that's a prayer that God would listen to and say, not today, I, I, I'm just really not interested in you doing my will today. I'm not answering that prayer today. I'm not going to lead you and direct you into my will. If God is sovereign over your life and you pray, Lord, make me to do your will, do you think God would answer that prayer? I think he would. And get others to pray for you. Colossians 1.9, Paul prays that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. I have a major decision coming up. Would you pray for me? I want to do the Lord's will. And finally, God is sovereign over my life. So prioritize, plan, and act. This is something that, as human beings, um, it's hard for us to grasp this. Planning is how God leads to abundance and safety. Listen to Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. God wants you to live proactively governed. He wants you to live a life of plan. He does not want you to live in reaction to the circumstances that blow your way. No flying by the seat of your pants is what he's saying. Everyone who is hasty, spur of the moment, comes only to poverty. But the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. So I plan. And when I plan, what is actually happening? Transformed mind. I'm taking all that I know about God into account. I'm thinking of all of the authorities in my life. I'm taking all of the general commands in the scripture into account. I've asked people to pray. I have prayed and I plan. This is the direction I ought to go. The plans of the heart belong to the man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The heart of man plans his way, and it is the Lord who directs his steps. A man's steps are from the Lord. Do you know why you came here this morning? God. You know why you're going to choose what you will this week. You're going to take the scriptures into account. You're going to think about God's commands. You're going to ask people for prayer. You're going to pray, Lord, let me do your will. And you're going to choose. Do you know why you chose? God. You planned, and God is the one directing your steps in that direction. Planning requires the use of the So as your mind is transformed and you make a transformed choice, not just relying on your own heart, well, what do I want to do? But a transformed choice. And you step forward. What kind of confidence can you have that the Lord will direct your steps? If God is sovereign, then why did your mind go the direction that it did? If God is sovereign, why are your feet going that direction? You're not just following your own heart, doing your own thing. You're actually 
trying, you're praying, God promises to answer your prayer. When you step forward, all of the scriptures taken into account, people praying for you, your intention is to do the will of God. Does God sit back and think, well, they really want to, but I'm just going to let them go. Or does God actually guide us? He does. He actually directs our steps. And one of the reasons why it's hard for us to step forward is because of what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. That's what I've been saying. Transform mind. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, know God. That's what we've seen. And he will direct your paths. But it starts trust in the Lord. That he will direct your paths. Planning. The mind. Is this really Christian? It seems so mundane that I would plan. Talk to a real estate agent. Which house should I buy? Take the car to the mechanic. Should I buy this one or not? Oh, it must not be God's will. Mechanic said no. It seems so unchristian, right? Listen to Paul. Philippians chapter 2. Epaphroditus left Paul and went to the Philippians. Why did he do that? I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. I thought it necessary. No mention of God's will, Paul. Just your own mind. You thought it would be good and you sent him? Paul, you didn't consult the Lord? I thought it necessary, Paul says. Did Paul do the will of God? Did Epaphroditus go by the will of God? That, by the way, is Philippians 2.25. This one's even more worldly, I think. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 16.4. It seemed advisable that I should go. Paul, all you're going on is whether or not it seems advisable to you? Yeah. Paul is a transformed man and a good tree bears good fruit. So just a couple of final thoughts here. In your pursuit of knowing the will of God, be governed by your Bible. This is completely separate from what we've looked at. This I don't have a verse for, but it seems to make sense to me. And so I'm saying that this is what seems to make sense to me. Okay, I don't have a Bible verse for this. And if you read your Bible and you say, yeah, I, th I think that's probably right, then maybe this would be something for you. If you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure the Bible doesn't say that, then you can dismiss it. Okay, it's just, just what I think. Be governed by your Bible and step forward only when God directs you to. God is not interested in keeping us in constant motion. He puts us in a particular place for a reason. His goal is not our comfort. When things get tough, it doesn't mean he's calling me on. The normal posture that the scripture gives us for the Christian life is to stand still for long periods of time and to be faithful through thick and thin. So I'm not seeking God's will for my life every day regarding which state to live in. I'm here until... The Lord makes it clear that I'm supposed to move. Does that make sense? Rather than, oh man, I wonder if I'm supposed to stay in Queensland today. 
every day waking up with that. There's, there's a massive amount of weight in that. God's normal posture for his people is stand still and be faithful. So be careful of moving forward without the scripture driving you forward. You might say, oh, I just, I just got to buy a house. I just got to buy a house. Lord, which house should I buy? Well, why is that even a question? Which house I should buy? Because you are pretty convinced you needed to buy a house. Does God actually even want you to take that step? If God drives you forward, you need a house. Okay, now let's ask the question, which house should I buy? But be careful of stepping forward in your own plans and then saying, oh Lord, now that I'm in this circumstance, which one should I buy? Does that make a bit of sense? Be driven forward by the scriptures, by God's plan for you. And then the question of which house you ought to buy uh, becomes a real question that you can expect God to give you an answer to. There's a huge difference between deciding you're going to do something and then asking God which of the various options you should choose. Big difference between that and actually starting down that path only because God directs you to. Many times we're faced with difficult decisions for which the Lord seems to be giving no clear direction. But the only reason we're facing that decision is because it's something I decided that I would do to please myself. And one final thought, and then I'm going to read that statement again, and hopefully it'll make sense to you this time, okay? God has a specific will about every decision I make in life. God has a person picked out for you to marry. The question is, how are you going to know that? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you'll be able to discern the will of God. Know God in all your ways. Listen to all the authorities around you. You will know. God, we use your planning. He will use your knowledge of him. He will use your attempts to obey his word. He will use your knowledge of his values, his purposes, to guide you to do the will of God every time. So one more time, the choices my transformed mind makes are the will of God. And this means that God does not work through our desires. He works through our transformed desires. If you want something and you have always wanted it from as long as you can remember even prior to your conversion, it's probably a desire of your heart. And God does not work through our desires. He works through our transformed desires. Lord, thank you for giving us direction in your word. Lord, it's so hard for us to trust you, that you work through our transformed minds. Help us to pursue sanctification in all things. Help us to love you, to seek to know you. Lord, make this our daily passion to open up our Bibles and to know the God with whom we have to do, the God whose will we want to know. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us confidence and trust in your sovereignty that would allow us to step forward day by day in the confidence that you lead us as we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we pray that you would give us confidence this week to do the will of God that we know. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.